So if you've been with us for the past uh, several weeks, you know that we have been in uh, our Lenten series called The God We Can Know. And the way that we have walked through the season of Lent, maybe a little bit different than we have in, in years past, we've, we've looked at the I am statements of Jesus. And, and if you have been paying attention, you know that there's one that we left out when we did the I am the good shepherd. There in that is also in, in John chapter 10 is I am the, the gate for the sheep or I am the gatekeeper. We, we didn't just ignore that, but it just kind of got wrapped up in the I am the good shepherd. But what that allowed us to do, and, and our hope and our prayer in this has been, yes, it, we learned something about who Jesus is in each of these I am statements, but we also learned something about who we are in the I am statements that Jesus makes. For example, to Jesus, for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never hunger again, means that there is something that Jesus is able to offer us that this world cannot offer us, that there is a hunger within each of us which only Jesus can truly satisfy. And so we're invited to examine our lives and ask, well, what, what is it that I've tried to fill my life with in hopes of finding that satisfaction that only Jesus can offer? And, and also, if you've been paying attention, you realize that we have not looked at these I am statements in chronological order. That is intentional because it lands us here this morning to be able to speak and look at and consider the statement that Jesus makes when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It is Easter Sunday, and regardless of which account, which of the gospel accounts of the resurrection we were to look at, we, I, I read from, from Luke, um, Luke's account, and I love that, that question that the angels ask to the women who are there to honor Jesus and to, to honor him in his burial and his death. They're asked the question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for life in dead places? Right? Regardless of which of these, these gospel accounts we look at, the story is the same. And for the church, the hope and the power of the gospel all hinges on an empty tomb. If the tomb is not empty, then the cross did exactly what it was intended to do, and that was to put an end and put to death this man who claimed to be the Son of God. And yet the cross and the grave did not have the final say. Death does not have the final say. And that's the promise that Jesus makes in his I am statement this morning. And what's so incredible about that, when we consider the rest of the I am statements that Jesus makes, if Jesus is in fact, if he, or if he is not the resurrection and the life, if resurrection doesn't, doesn't happen, then Jesus is not the bread of life. That bread goes stale. It is not fit for our nourishment. It will never satisfy us. If the resurrection never happens, then the light of the world gets snuffed out and darkness has won. If the resurrection never happens, then the good shepherd is not able to continue to call the names of his sheep and to sing over them and invite them into pastures that he would offer us rather than pastures of our own making. If the resurrection doesn't happen, then the true vine withers and there is no life and there is no fruit to be found from it. And so for us to hear these words of Jesus this morning is not only a statement about his power over death and what he offers us in that, but it is the promise that every other I am statement that Jesus makes. Everything that Jesus promises he will be for us is yes and amen because the tomb is empty. 
because death did not have the final say, because sin does not have the power that the enemy wants it to have. And the invitation for us is, will we receive it? Will we say yes to that gift? John chapter 11, when, when Danae and I were talking about this, and as our, our, our pastoral staff, as we were talking about this, she said, what, okay, which, which verses am I reading? I was like, really, I want you to just read John 11 from beginning to end. And she was like, absolutely not. That's a lot of words. It will take up a lot of time. And, and I, I, I get that. But in order for us to appreciate what's happening here in this interaction between Jesus and Martha, Martha we, we have to be able to understand the context of this. We have to know what this, this is so significant and so important and so weighty about the statement that Jesus makes, I am the resurrection and the life. And before we do that, I want us to consider something. I want us to consider the fact that sometimes when we approach Jesus and are seeking something from him, or seeking life for him, we hear this promise, I am, I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the, the bread of life, or I am the light of the world. When we're considering this, this, this hope of life in Christ, I, I don't wonder if sometimes what we are after is, is simply resuscitation and not resurrection. Like if you could just get me back to the place I was, to a place where things are comfortable and, and like life the way I've created it, that, that kind of works and I know, I know how to, do, to be in that and to live in that and it, it feels good and it's pretty calculated and, and, and you know, as best I can, I know how the future is going to play out or, or how I hope it to and I hit a bump along the way, Jesus, and so if you could just resuscitate that life and just bring me back to the place that I was, that's great, that's enough. And, and yet what Jesus offers is not resuscitation it's not that there's still some sense of life, possibility of life there. It's that Jesus is saying, no, in the places that are dead, I am bringing life that has never been. I am bringing life that is new and looks nothing like the life that you are trying so desperately to cling to. And, and so I think that that's something that we have to deal with this morning. Jesus didn't just come to make us better versions of ourselves. He came to give us new life and to transform us to allow us to see all of our pursuits and how empty those things are, to allow us to see when we place our hope in people and things that are not Him, and to allow us to feel the sting of the disappointment in those things and those people. It doesn't mean that those things and people are inherently wrong. It just means that they were never meant to give us life. And Jesus in His faithfulness allows us to see that and then comes in with, hey, I'm not just trying to you know, pump life back into your old life, I want to give you a new life. I want to give you something entirely different. <clears throat> so Jesus has a relationship with this man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and, and Martha. And if you go to the beginning of John 11, we read, this Mary, uh, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, and if you were to flip over to, um, to John chapter 12, you'd, you'd see that, that interaction between um, Jesus and, and Mary. It, it is an act of, of worship, and, and her, her act of worship just, just fills the room, the fragrance of her worship and the way she pours herself out. It, it, it affects the environment around her. It's, it's a really beautiful picture. But Jesus, we don't, we don't know how, we're not sure why. I mean, it's possible that it, it's in the, the journey of, of Jesus' ministry. And, 
uh, possible that you know Bethany is a place that he has been in and out of in, in ministry, and so maybe they invited he and his disciples to stay in their home. Maybe they showed hospitality to Jesus. Maybe they supported Jesus in his ministry in some way. We don't know why the relationship exists. We just know that there's something special, something unique about the relationship that Jesus has with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. And so the sisters send word to Jesus. Hey, Lazarus, our brother, is is sick. And it's important for us to try to wrap our minds around what, what kind of sick he might be that they would get to the point where they are willing to send a runner, send word to Jesus who is a, at least a day's journey from where they are. Like this is not, Lazarus has the sniffles, he's feeling a little under the weather, if you could come and lay your hand on him, he, he's, you know, he's a male, so like he doesn't really handle headaches or a runny nose very well. He's kind of a sissy, so if you could come and lay hands on him, that'd be great, because we're really tired of his griping and complaining. And guys, you can laugh, but you know, like, we are, we are the worst patients in the world, right? Yep. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, I, will, I will own that 100% until the day I die. I'm like, I have maybe a slight headache. I don't know if I can get up and make breakfast for the kids this morning. She's like, suck it up. You're going to make breakfast. <laughs> kids have to eat. So... In order for them to get to the point where they send word to, Lazar- to, to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, this is like on death's doorstep. And if you have ever been with someone who, who is on their kind of their final march to death, like it is, it's not pretty. It, there, there are things about it that are unsettling and that are really hard and that are ugly. And so that's kind of the point where the sisters find themselves with their brother. And so they send, they send word to Jesus. When he heard this, verse 4... Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Exactly what you would want Jesus to say in that moment. This sickness will not end in death. Jesus doesn't in that moment, like, gather his, his, his robes and his cloak up and says to the boys, hey, come on, we got to go. And then says to the runner, hey, lead us back. We, we need to get there quickly. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't wrap his robe around him and and gather things up and run to be with Lazarus. Instead, he stayed where he was two more days. That, That doesn't feel a lot like love. Whatever Jesus was doing in that moment, what is communicated before he does come, what is communicated is that this is more important. And I, I wonder how many of us have, have felt that way. We, we, have, can, we have reached out to God in prayer and feel like all we are getting is silence. That God is too busy somewhere else to tend to what we need or to see the hurt that is in our lives Jesus says, this will not end end in death. This is is actually a really good thing, and yet he stays where he is. We have to understand that God's love and God's sovereignty are not ever at odds with each other. God's sovereignty and God's love can and do coexist and work together. Sometimes, 
God is silent. Sometimes it seems like God tarries because God needs us to experience just a little bit more of our desperation. Because it's when we get to the end of our rope, when we've exhausted all other possibilities, we find that God is able to do his best work. So God's love is very much for Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this moment. And yet God, Jesus the Son, is also sovereign and understands what is at stake here. And so he's willing to wait. God's sovereignty and God's love do not have to be at odds with one another. After he was there two more days, then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Jerusalem. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus always in step with the plan of the Father. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. I love the disciples. So much hope for us. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. It's good that he's resting. And I wonder if this was one of these moments where Jesus is like, Oh my gosh. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go on to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Like we go from, Jesus, we shouldn't go there because they're trying to kill you, to, well, I guess we're all in. The roller coaster that these men lived their lives on with Jesus, is it, it just should be such hope for all of us. He didn't exactly know what he was saying, but he's all in. He's ready to go. This is the same guy who, after Jesus was resurrected, who, after Jesus raised from the dead, said, I'm not going to believe it until I can touch his wounds and see him, until I can see the nail wounds, until I can put my finger in his side. Same guy here is saying, yeah, well, I'm all in. Let's go. And then we get to our passage that Danae read for us. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And that, that is, that's a significant number. We tend to, in Scripture, think of three as being significant, the number seven as being significant. But in this moment, in this context, the number four is very significant. The Jews believed, they had this belief that the, the spirit of the individual would hover around the tomb for three days. Just in the chance that it somehow could be sucked back into the body. In the, in the chance that, that resuscitation might be possible. And I believe that Jesus has this in mind as he tarries, as he waits, because he wants to be sure that what they understand has happened is that there is no possibility for life left in that tomb. At the end of the rope, Jesus is going to do his best work. Four days have passed. Now the, the morning, the way like this morning has escalated. 
the wailers have, have escalated. People from, have come from Jerusalem to Bethany to, to be with this family. And maybe it's because this was a, a prominent family and they wanted to come and, and pay their respects. But one of the things that also happens at that time is that people were, were hired as, as, as those who would come and mourn on behalf of a family. So we don't know how many actually have relationship with them. We don't know if, if there are some who are hired by relatives to say, hey, could you come and, and be a part of paying respects to Lazarus? This family is in mourning. So now we've reached day four. There is no longer any hope for resuscitation. Life has left the body of Lazarus. He is in that tomb for good, and Jesus walks into town. And Martha gets word that he's coming. And so she runs to him. When, she heard, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Some translations say, if only, if only. If is such an interesting word for us. We, we tend to use it in sentences and probably don't even really think about it. And yet, in, in this moment, and often for us, it carries such weight. If is a word that keeps us clinging to the possibility of something in the future... But if is, an also, is also a word that names our disappointment of something that has not come to pass. Or names our disappointment over something that has happened to us or happened around us or, or something that we are affected by. It keeps us clinging to the future and it also names our disappointment for things in the past. And, and we see Martha just kind of caught in this, in this tension. If you had been here, if only you had made it, if you had come when we, when we, when we reached out, when we sent word to you, and, and it's likely that even in that moment, it was too late. But she's clinging to this hope, naming her for disappointment. If only you had come, our brother would still be alive. If only you hadn't tarried, he would be here with us. We would not be in this place. It would not be four days in the tomb. Our brother Lazarus would have, would have recovered. He would be well and he would be with us. If only you had come, if you had made it when we needed you. And yet there's also some degree of faith wrapped up in this because she believed that if Jesus had come, then the future would look different. And so one of the things that Jesus does here and one of the things that he seeks to do in our own lives is to untangle our pasts to untangle our past disappointment and our past hurt and our past woundedness, all of those things that are wrapped up with an if statement or an if question. But he also seeks to draw the hope of the future into the present. If only this interview goes the way that I hope it will, then things will change for me. If, if my, my spouse agrees to go to counseling, then, then maybe you know, our marriage will be healthier than it is now. If things play out the right way, then our outlook is going to really change. If I can just get through this semester of school, then, then I, don't, I will just survive. 
or if, or if I graduate when I need to and then the internship works out. We, if communicates something we desire to see in the future and, and Jesus comes to take that hope and to pull it right into the present. And even in the face of her disappointment, and, and I, I don't even know that it's, you know, Martha is like chiding him. I think she's just being honest about where she is, which is such an invitation to us. Why is it that we feel like in our prayers and in our talking to the Lord, we need to hold back? We're conditioned to think that somehow God can't handle our frustration and can't handle our sadness and can't handle us naming the disappointment that we might feel over something. And, and yet Martha here is like, hey, if, if you'd come, that we wouldn't be here right now. And it doesn't necessarily have to have a tone of like, oh, Jesus, if you weren't, I, I just kind of want to grab you by the collar. It, it could just be stating, hey, Jesus, we, we counted on you. And you didn't come, and, and now this is where we are. But then... Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So even in the midst of her disappointment and sadness over the loss of her brother, Martha is willing to cling to just a small shred of possibility. That there's this faith that she still holds. Disappointment and and doubt don't have to be the, the end of our faith. If anything, maybe it's a possibility for us to take another step of faith, to take another step of faithfulness, to take another step in which we say, all right, now, now I, the, everything that I counted on, those things have all been exhausted. Jesus, all I have is you. It is possible for us to have deeper faith in the midst of deep disappointment. And it's a question of how we approach the Lord in that or whether or not we do. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again on the, re- on the resurrection at the last day. This was something that the Pharisees believed. They believed that there would be a resurrection, that those who were lost would be returned, that those who, whose lives had been, had been taken would be brought back in, in the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then we see her say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. I am the resurrection and the life. In this statement, Jesus is not offering a solution. He is offering himself. He's not offering a band-aid for the situation. He is offering himself. He's not offering something that will just be hope for the moment. He is offering something that is hope for the future that he means to pull into the present. And I think too often we stop short at the things that Jesus can give us or the things that Jesus can do for us. When what Jesus intends for us to reach out and to grab a hold of is him. Not just a solution for the moment, but life everlasting. For Jesus to make this statement, I am the resurrection and the life, is for Jesus to make the statement that I have dominion over things that you do not even understand. Death does not have the final say. And and while these words wouldn't have meant this in this moment, they will come to understand what these words mean when the disciples encounter the risen Lord. 
when they see Jesus with the, the nail wounds and the wound in his side, when they touch him and they, ha- they share a meal with him and they realize that he is very much alive and that he is, in fact, resurrection and life. And the invitation stands for those who believe they will go on living. The promise is that when our time here on this earth is over, we are swept right into eternity. There is no pause, there is no moment in darkness, there is no moment when we are wondering what's next because we are swept right into eternal existence, relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. It's not just hope for what will come. It's hope for the way that we are invited to live right now. The disciples we were to turn and begin to read in the book of Acts following the resurrection of Jesus, which I just highly recommend you do. Spend time in the gospel of Luke and then turn from Luke straight to Acts. The same author wrote both of those accounts. Turn to Acts and just keep going. These men who went into hiding, these men who were afraid for their very lives, these men who are confused, these men who pledged themselves to Jesus and then deserted him are the same men that God uses to change the course of history, to transform the world through the gospel going out through them. There was a boldness to them that they had not expressed before. There was a boldness to them that we had not seen. There was an assuredness. Peter, the one who said the wrong thing at the wrong time almost every time he opened his mouth, is the one who stands up and proclaims the gospel at the day of Pentecost, and 2,000 people come to put their hope and their faith in Jesus. Why? Because they saw how death ended. It ended with an empty tomb. It ended with the one in which they had placed their hope, walking out of that tomb very much alive and inviting them into life with him, a life that would never end, a life in which sin has lost its power, a life in which death has lost its sting. And so then, Mary, who expresses this belief, I believe that you can do this. I believe that you are the one After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. So Mary now comes and she says the same thing to Jesus. If only you had been here. One of the things that we we cannot pass over in this account. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus doesn't stand outside of our pain and kind of lob in solutions to it or say to us, as we're saying, if only Jesus doesn't stand and say, hey, you know what? If only you had done this. If only you had been more faithful. If only you had prayed harder. If only you had spent more time in the Bible. If only you had chosen to go to church instead of go fishing. Jesus does not offer a rebuttal of if-onlys to us when we are wrestling with the if in our own lives. Jesus enters into our pain. Jesus is moved by our our hurt. Jesus is, is willing to enter into and untangle our questions and our fear and our doubt. Jesus wept. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Take away the stone, he said. And then I love this. 
But Lord, said Martha, Martha, the very one who had just professed faith in him that he could do anything, that anything was still possible. Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Her proclamation of faith proved not to be a strong enough foundation on which she could stand. We know so many of us the right things to say, but it's not until we are willing to take a step before we realize how strong that foundation really is. Martha knew the right words, and yet in the moment where it was an opportunity to see her hopes and her desires come to pass, she said, whoa, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Friends, I wonder if one of the things that hinders us and that inhibits us is that we feel like, you know what, I know how to navigate this, this pain, but, but I don't know if I can deal with the pain of disappointment. I don't know if I can experience being let down again. And yet Jesus is right there. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus had no power of his own to come out of that tomb. He was dead, dead. In a place so deep and so dark, and yet there was a voice that penetrated that darkness. There was a voice that called his name, and it was a voice that even in the deepest, darkest place, in a place of being dead, dead, no chance of life, it is a voice that pierced that place. And it is a voice that knew his name, and he responded to that voice because it was, it was a voice that could say his name in a way that no one else did. And all Lazarus could do was to respond, to walk out of that tomb and to hear the words, take those grave clothes off of him and let that man go because he is now free from death. Amen? Church, that's the invitation that we have from the one who is the resurrection and the life. Does it mean that we won't die again? No, Lazarus would go on to die again, but that that death would just be a doorway into an eternity with the one who loved him. In the same way that Jesus meets Mary in the garden in John's gospel account. And she says, she thinks he's the gardener and she says to him, could you just please tell me where they've taken him? She's broken, she's confused, she doesn't know what's happening and then Jesus simply speaks her name, Mary. There's no one who is able to say her name the way that Jesus is. And in that moment, she realizes it's him, the one that she loves, the one in whom she has placed her hope. So whether yours is a tomb of darkness, whether yours is a place where you just feel like there is, there is no hope of return, or whether yours is simply a place of confusion, know that the same voice speaks into both of those places and calls you by name and invites you to come out and experience the life of resurrection. Lazarus would go on to die, but and we don't read it in here, but imagine what his life looked like from this point forward. 
Now he lived a life that looked totally different because he was a man who knew death and who had been brought back to life, who knew darkness and had been brought into light, who knew a place where there was no hope and had been given all of the hope of the world in the person of Jesus. Imagine the stories that he went on to tell. Let me tell you about Jesus who called me out of the grave and set me free. Church, that is the invitation that we have and it's the story that we have to tell. I want to close with this and invite us to stand and sing about our our faith, what we hope and what we believe in Christ. Eugene Peterson in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plan, tells a story of going to Johns Hopkins to to see the author uh, Kaim Potok give a lecture and, and he's one who, who's written uh, novels like The Chosen his, he's a deeply religious Jewish man and his, his faith just spills out onto the, in the things that he does but he tells this story as he's giving this lecture he tells this story of his mom who comes to him and, comes to him and says Kaim I, I know that you want to be a writer but don't, don't be a writer go to school and become a brain surgeon and then you can keep a lot of people from dying and make lots of money and he says no mom I don't I don't want to be a brain surgeon I want to be a writer and this continues through his entire journey every time there's a vacation every time he's home Kaim stop pursuing writing go and become a brain surgeon you can keep a lot of people from dying and you can make lots of money Mama, I, I, don't, I don't want to be a brain surgeon. I want to be a writer. And finally, she is just fed up. She feels like her son is wasting his life. And she says to him, Kaim, it's not too late. Give this up. Go to school to become a brain surgeon. Then you will keep a lot of people from dying. And he says, Mother, I don't want to keep people from dying. I want to show them how to live. Church, it's not up to us to go and save people. There's only one who can do that. And his name is Jesus. It's up to us to hear the invitation that he makes. Hey, come and live a life unlike anything you've ever known. And then I want you to go and show other people how to live. It's not up to you to keep them from dying. It's up to you to show them that there is a new way to live. Amen? Amen. Stand and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that the tomb is empty. We thank you that all that you promised to be for us is yes and amen in an empty tomb. That you are the resurrection and the life. And we ask that you would forgive us for all of the places that we look for life. All of the places that we, that we, that we hope to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction. We ask that you would forgive us for stopping short receiving what you truly long to offer us, not a solution, but a person, yourself. Wherever we are, would you meet us in that place? Speak to us, press upon our hearts what it might look like to say yes to this resurrection life. Not a resuscitated life, not more of the same, but a new life. And then would you give us a burden for people who need to know that, that we might be a people who walk forth from this place and say, I want to show people how to live. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for an empty tomb. Jesus, it's in your name. Amen.